Today I would like to welcome Rosie Camden to the podcast. Rosie is a bit of a hero of mine. A mother of five, she's an award-winning woman and education rights activist in Cameroon, working in the country's major cities and most remote villages, and at times across the African continent. She spends her time visiting tribes and villages that can only be reached by hiking into the bush, as she teaches women how to make soap and other goods necessary to provide a more safe and sanitary lifestyle, while producing income for these small, woman-run businesses. In most villages, women have never run a business before, and in many of these areas, women do not know a word for their private parts or for menstruation. Rosie also focuses on the empowerment of women nationally, locally, and on the tribal level, where women most often do not have a voice helping women and young girls understand that they have options in life that include education, owning a business, having the right to have their voices heard, and that child marriages are not necessary, are primary focuses of her work. We'll join the conversation in progress. Most of the areas where we intervene are rural areas, and those militia groups are settled in the villages because the English-speaking zone is a very mountainous kind of um, area. So the boys, they take advantage of the cover of the forest, of the difficult terrain to establish their camps and their bases. And most of the women, the rural women we work with are in those villages, are around those camps. So it has become increasingly difficult to, uh, to reach out to them on a daily basis. They also try to affirm their presence in those zones. So from time to time, they will declare some lockdowns, there will be a lot of uh, gunfire exchanges between the, 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 the militia groups and the government uh, military, which makes it kind of really hard to have access to, to the area. And you've dedicated a lot of your time and effort to the socio-cultural or socio-economic empowerment of women, and particularly girls, and ideas of education in rural regions. First of all, they are in very hard-to-reach communities and they don't have access to basic commodities like wash powder, body lotion, hygiene products in general. They also don't have access to some agricultural inputs. That is where we've been trying to concentrate our efforts to try to see how through the, the, the support we give them, they can be empowered and they can produce what they cannot have access to by themselves. So if they have the inputs, if they can be able to reach out to the main city of Bamenda, for example, they get the entrance for production. Even if there's a lockdown, at least they can produce it by themselves. They can use it and the whole community in which they are can also have access to those basic necessities. In terms of, of education, since the war started, it has been very, all, most schools have, have been closed, especially in the villages. In the cities, it's not effective 100%, but in the villages, there's no school. So there has been a lot of increase in teenage pregnancy, a lot of women rights abuses and all of that. So we try to see how the girls and the women and the young women can have alternative measures of education in the communities. So we'll unpack this a little bit for people who don't understand. You've actually gone in and helped teach women how to make soap or yes. how to plant certain agricultural products mm -hmm. that can be grown in their region yes, so they can feed their families. Exactly. So, for example, in terms of soap, like I said, if they see the lockdown or due to even the natural terrain of the community, even before the war, these are, like I said, very hard to reach uh, communities and villages. So basic 
commodities like that hardly reach out, hardly reach to those uh, areas. So it, for the past, I think, five or six years, we've been training women in clubs on how to produce the soap, how to produce uh, body lotion, how to produce even medicated soap for minor skin rashes and things like that, so that they can be able by themselves to have access to those products. They can also use it as income generation. And in the meantime, they are also helping the communities in which they live to have access to all those products. And when you say hard to reach, can you explain what that really means? Hard to reach means that these are villages where vehicles don't reach, motorcycles don't. So you basically trek from the main motorable road to where the women are located. You can trek for about one, two hours on a very mountainous terrain. So it isn't just bad roads. You really have to hike through the... No, no, no. You have to go on foot. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think people have any perspective. And one of the reasons I admire you so much. There's no means of transportation that reach where they are. Because we also do a lot of sexual reproductive health and rights education. Because family planning, nurses, they don't reach to those type of communities. uh, Maybe let me explain a little bit how we function. So in those villages, we... We bring the women together into clubs and we call them making a difference club. So when they come together in those clubs, they have the opportunity to benefit, first of all, from peer mentoring. Like they can discuss, these are safe discussion spaces where they can talk about what are the issues, the difficulties they face in their community, bring their voices together to try to find solutions and also uh, put their voices together if they want to do a stronger advocacy at the level of the, the traditional the village traditional council we also have to know that these are very patriarchal traditional communities where women don't really have voices or where women cannot talk about rights so the fact that we bring them together first of all they have that opportunity to talk about what is the problem what is difficult how can they solve the problem and they can now use those unified voices to do advocacy when necessary. And then they, in that, in that space, they have the opportunity to learn new skills and to be empowered economically. So in the clubs, they learn how to produce all those products we talked about. They do microcredit, they do business, and when it is necessary, they do advocacy at local grassroots level the village traditional council. So when one one of them is abused, like maybe you have this issue of widow rights, women who lose property because their husbands died, or you have uh, girls who face pressure to go into early marriages because the parents want to collect the bride price, they can put their voices together to advocate for those type of cases and to see how they can solve it at the village level. And just bringing women together is a large step in many of these communities. Yeah, it is because this is the first time, apart from going for traditional ceremonies, burials, funerals, or weddings, this is the first time they come together to talk about things like their rights or to have socioeconomic empowerment in a group. It brings a lot of change at the village level because sometimes women are not listened to, but if you have five, six, seven, ten women going to the village traditional council, at least they, will have a, they can have a listening ear to the issues they bring. And it's an act of bravery for some women to go to these meetings. It is. And that is why when we start the formation of groups, we first talk about female leadership. We first encourage this peer mentoring because 
it, it should be a it should be a grassroots community approach it should not be people coming from outside to impose ideas on them because you'll be as if like you come with foreign ideas you don't know what the culture is you don't know what the tradition is we also use a lot of uh, community-based volunteers because most of the people we work with on the ground they live and stay in the village so there are women who are part of that community apart from some few staff who are based in bamenda for logistic reasons or the reasons of having access to internet and to administrative offices most of the women we work with are based in the village they are community-based volunteers so the ideas come from grassroots and the solutions come from grassroots that makes sense it provides lasting change and it also fights pushback because as you say even though you're mm -hmm. from the same country and not too far mm -hmm. away you're viewed as an outsider mm -hmm. They view you as somebody who already has some privileges because you don't live in the village. You may not know realities of doing farm work on a daily basis, being abused by traditional customs, rights, and traditions. It's hmm. extraordinary. So when you talk about hygiene, you're talking about really basic ideas of hygiene. I read that you educate women in terms of menstruation or... Mm -hmm. hygiene on a very mm -hmm. basic level, which I think would surprise a lot of people. Yeah, it may surprise a lot of people, but like I said, the type of uh, communities we intervene in, these are villages, sometimes the girls, they, first of all, to talk about sexuality or menstruation is a taboo. And some girls do not even know how to call their private parts or how to call a vagina in the local language or in English. So sometimes when you bring such topics in meetings, it's, those are things you don't talk about. So many women are trapped into early pregnancies, so many children because they have no idea. I think we, even us at the level of the, the organization, when we started, we were, like, we were kind of really surprised because you see a woman who has like five or six children who has been coming to the club meeting, and she will tell you she has never heard about family planning. And she will tell you she has never heard about how to take care of herself during menstruation. That is why it is critical for us to start with those uh, basic notions. There are things that you feel you, like you said, everybody knows, everybody talks about it, but unfortunately it's not, it's not the case. Well, I think it's equally important to educate the people who are listening about that reality <laughs> as well. I and, and remove some of those assumptions. Yeah, because some, sometimes many do not even have, if I talk about people who do not even have access to something like soap or wash powder, what about sanitary towels? Yeah, because most of them, they we are shocked to hear the type of things that they use during their period. Some will tell you they use dry leaves, some will tell you they use all pieces of clothes for those who can afford. Some will tell you they basically have to remain at home during that period until it is over and they can go because they don't have any means of protection. That is why now it is important for us to talk to them about how to take care of themselves, to also introduce them to the production of usable sanitary parts, pieces of fabric, materials that are easy to clean and easy to maintain. And that is why it is also important to bring together this notion of production of powder soap, production of soap, production of medicated soap, that is going to be used for hygiene during menstruation and all of that. Right. And also to reduce disease and yes. provide right safety mm -hmm. for their children and themselves mm. on a daily basis. 
So you said women, when they're in groups of four, five, or six, have the opportunity to meet with Mm -hmm. tribal elders. Can you explain that? It's a very patriarchal society. So the tribal elders run the tribe? They are very well organized at the traditional level. You have a village council, you have the quarters, first of all. Then you have from at the the quarter level, you have quarter heads. Those quarter heads, they they have some monthly meetings they hold with the elders in the village quarter. From the quarter, you have the, the small village, and then you have the big tribe. And women are not part of that administration at all. So we have been trying to see how through the over the years with more empowerment, we can have women, if not being permanent members of those administration at grassroots level, at least they should have the opportunity to have a seat or to have a space when they have issues they want to present at that level. It is still work in progress because I will not say we've uh, succeeded so far. With the work that we've been doing, they now have the opportunity when they have something to say or when they have an issue to raise, they give them room to do that during the meeting. Generally, they give them five minutes, 10 minutes or 30 minutes. They come in groups of five, six or seven to present the, the issue they want to talk about. But prior to this, women weren't given access to these meetings. No, they weren't. So it's an enormous step. Mm. of validation our goal or our aim in the long term is to have them like at least have a seat have the opportunity to be women's secretary or advisor or whatsoever in many ways you're an example to these women by virtue of your success and <laughs> i think what inspires me the most when i work with them is the i'll talk about the resilience they have because many people in there sometimes when you are in the city Despite the privileges that you have to be heard, to be listened, you have access to water, electricity, they don't have all of that, but they are the happiest women you can imagine on earth. They always welcome you with songs, jokes, and they they are so generous. They always want to give food. The little that they have, they always want to share. So this is what is uh, really so inspiring and so encouraging for me. So I think I learn more from them than they learn from me because they just to have that joy and that happiness despite the hardship and despite the the challenges you face on a daily basis is really enormous that's wonderful you came from this culture so what made you decide to be self-empowered to begin to work in this area i think the fact luckily i grew up i would say i'm very privileged because when i see those the context and the environment in which uh, I work, I would say I was really, really privileged because my mother was educated, my father was educated. But despite that education, I've seen my mother struggle over the years, struggle to have a voice, struggle to have an opinion, struggle to have access to, to, to some basic things like the right to own land, the right to, to own property. That is what inspired me and I told myself, well, if she tried at the little level that she was to give me the best education she could afford, let me also at my level, apart from my own daughters, try to see how other women can benefit from the same privileges, and especially those who are in those rural remote communities. You speak to the importance of education. A lot of your initiatives are education-based. Yes. A lot of our, because I noticed that 
some of the things that the women do is because of ignorance is because they don't know they don't know that they have access to some basic rights they don't know that to change your status to change your life these are the type of steps you you have to take they don't know that you even if you were in this situation it is not the best thing to have your daughter go into marriage at 14 15 or 16 you at least have to give her that opportunity to the further the, the, the farthest level she can reach so that is why we really try to encourage them those schools are not really going on in the village i know that the fact that they come in those uh, spaces on a monthly basis on a weekly basis because they meet once a week this is already a kind of education and a, a means of empowerment because they are not like in the past they know that we have a right to do this or that we can talk about female leadership we can talk about setting goals for the future we can talk about empowerment we can talk about we can put our voices together when we have issues that are challenging at the local level and it helps to solve a lot of uh, problems so the education may not necessarily be the formal education that you know because of the context in which we are now but just those safe spaces where they come together is already a means of education and a means of empowerment so there isn't formal education in the villages but there is in the cities yes but there is there is formal education in the cities but not in the villages even in the city if i put it in the scale of a hundred percent in the city i would say maybe 50 to 60 percent because it is kind of risky to go to school in the in that part you may be arrested you may be kidnapped you may be killed so that if you attend school yes and you're talking about grade school young young children you're not talking just about university both i think both university primary the the whole educational system is really grounded in that part of the country the government has been trying so hard to work on that to encourage people to go back but at the personal level at the person at your for the your own safety i know a lot of children who are kidnapped on their way to school ransom acts ransoms acts from, from from parents so the schools are going but people are very careful like you cannot wear a school uniform you cannot go openly and stuff like that so if people see you attending school you might be kidnapped or hurt yeah. or mm -hmm. and that's boys and girls yes is it better in the french-speaking portion of the country are more schools open yeah, the French speaking the French speaking portion of the the country does not have any problem. There, there is no the fighting is concentrated in the in the English the the both the two English speaking zones. So it's a form of control or attempt to control. Yes, that's extraordinary. So when you talk about educational programs in the villages, it's really just being able to meet with these young women, letting them know that there is the possibility mm. of a future that yeah. marrying young isn't their only outcome. Mm. There's hope. Mm -hmm. It's a powerful word. <laughs> there is hope. I hope the government is going to see rooms for negotiation with the people who are fighting and try to see how they can solve the problem in the long run because it's not, it's, it has been very challenging for the past years. I can't imagine. And you've also done work with young feminists from around the world. Yes, I've been working with the Women's Fund. I'm really passionate about seeing young women achieve their potential, reach their goals, and understand who they are and when they, where they want to go to. So I've done a lot of work with uh, 
the Young Feminist Fund, for example, where I supported the advisory committee for Sub-Saharan Africa, especially Francophone Africa. It was basically about working with young feminist group, providing support on proposal development, project management, and basically how to run a grassroots organization, giving a lot of uh, information, strategic information, and guidance plus advice to the, the management of, of the fund. Supporting also with the grant making cycle, helping to review applications coming from Sub-Saharan Africa, giving inputs, information, ideas coming from the ground to see which projects fits best into the context. And you said that's around Africa. Yes. So me, I was working because the Young Feminist Fund, the WOP region, you have the Sub-Saharan African region, you have Northern Africa, you have Asia and the Pacific. And I was focused on Sub-Saharan Africa and specifically Francophone Sub-Saharan Africa. We met at the United Nations Alliance Civilization Education for a Summer School. Yes. <laughs> which was that absolutely was a great That was really week. a, how can I put it, a stepping stone to a lot of the work I do now because it gave me, it was the first time I, not the first time I go out of Kabul, but the first time I am exposed to that type of uh, training to several young people from across the world. And I learned so much. This has also helped me to kind of change my perspectives. You know, when you are on your little corner, you do work on your little corner, you may not have the same, the broader view of what is happening elsewhere. It gives a lot of encouragement. It gives a lot of support to what you have been doing at your level. How did you end up at the summer school? There were, you know, when you work in the development sector, when you work with young women, there are a lot of opportunities online. Generally, we try to apply to what we see to help. Sometimes there's not a lot of uh, money to go for real professional courses for nine months or one year. So we try to see how with those short courses or just short programs, we can improve on our skills. That is how I ended up at the summer. So I was looking for a course that could help me have more training, expose me to more cultures and to other young people across the world. And I think there were 75 people in your group? Yes, there were 75 people in our group. We still keep in touch, actually. That's wonderful. Yes, there are a number of ways people keep in touch. We'll touch on that in a minute. And I think it's important for people listening to know there were 14,000 applications Yeah. for those 75 <laughs> slots. It's a lot. And I think there is, for those who believe in God, I will talk about God's destiny for who you want to be, your hope and your future and trying to see how you can make good use of such opportunities to empower and help other young people across the world. That is what I've been trying to do. Give back actually for what you you, you receive because to be selected out of 14,000 applications, it means that you have to be mindful and to be conscious of the fact that you have to give back that privilege to, to other young people and to other young women. Yeah, I would agree. We have a, a certain obligation to that. No question. <laughs> I, I think. And you do it well, by the way. You've helped a lot of people. And it is great to see the UNAOC, the group from the United Nations, stay in touch. We worked with a group called Not So Different, mm -hmm. which kind of rises and falls yes. <laughs> depending on the moment. Uh, so Not So Different was born at the summer school and it has now started 
uh, in different countries for now. The strongest group is in Senegal. I think you have been active in some of the activities they have been putting in place. We are also trying to see with the group in Senegal how we can encourage other countries to be as active and to have the movement spread further into other. Into, but you know what I've noticed is it depends on the leader, honestly, because the leader for to fend from uh, not so different Senegal is so dynamic, so passionate about the course, and so if we could identify some other young people like that across five or six countries, it is going to be very helpful. I think so. Uh, try to explain to people it's not a top-down organization. Yeah, it's really managing loosely managing a group of individual, mm -hmm. not so different groups that are self-empowered. Mm -hmm. And it's not a group that's political or uh, religion driven. It's really about. Mm -hmm. It's more like a, we try to see how at the end it can be kind of movement to encourage uh, intercultural dialogue, to encourage diversity and inclusion across the world. We are hopeful that with, if we have Senegal is really very strong now and definitely with the support and the example they are going to give to other countries, we can spread to, to other parts of Africa and why not other parts of the world. How have you evolved personally and professionally over the course of your career? Okay. Um, personally, it has been very challenging because it is a lot of work. I am a mother of five and to juggling between the professional part and the family life has not been easy. It entailed a lot of sleepless night, a lot of uh, time put into my career goals. But I would say I've been ex exceptionally uh, lucky to also meet people who have mentored me along the path because I started from, I have a master's in commerce but I've, when I was studying, I never knew I would end up in, in development. I knew I had a passion, I had a drive for supporting women and young people, but I never thought I would end up working fully in development in, in a span of maybe 10 to, 10 to 14 years. So I've succeeded to achieve that because of the kind of support, the kind of mentoring I've received from, first of all, my, my partner, my husband, my family, my mom, and also from people I've met along the along the road, like you, like since we are here, like many people met at the summer school and in the circles I've been working with. For example, at the Young Feminist Fund, I've met I've met a lot of amazing people who give me the necessary advice that could push me forward. So I've evolved from the banking sector to working for a national grassroots organization at the local level in Cameroon to supporting and establishing an organization myself to now working for an international women's fund. And my current position is, I'm very grateful for that because it gives me the opportunity to reach out to more women, not only in my immediate environment, not only in Francophone Sub-Saharan Africa, like when I was working for the Young Feminist Fund, but to women across the, the African continent. So I'm really, really grateful for that. For example, with the crisis we have now with the COVID-19 pandemic, we have been able to support over 90 groups across Africa. And this is really amazing to see how 
we can reach out to women with disabilities, to women who are domestic workers, to rural women who primarily do not have access to information, do not have access to means of protection. I'm really grateful and I'm really happy to see that I've moved forward from the local level to regional level to working at the level of the, the, the continent as a whole. Correct me if I'm wrong, but you've received some recognition for that. Have you received some awards? Yes. Uh, well, <laughs> sometimes I don't like to talk about recognitions because my main recognition is the the contact I have on a daily basis with women and girls. Honestly, to talk about awards and all of that, I am not. I don't focus so much on that because my main pride and my main joy is to see groups of women who would have never thought they could access funding, access funding, to see women in the villages having a seat at the level of the traditional council, being able to present their issues and to be heard and to find solutions. <laughs> Fair enough. I noticed you didn't list any of them on your CV, but I know you've received them. <laughs> okay. so, That's why and... I didn't list it on my CV. <laughs> <laughs> So what is one thing you've learned along the way? Kindness and hard work. Kindness because a good action, a being mindful, being thoughtful to people, that is what uh, paves your way for further achievements. And then hard work because there's no other way around. You just have to put in a lot of time and a lot of efforts. And while you are putting those that time and those efforts, be kind to people. Because it's when you are kind to people that you also have other people along your way that will pay you back with the same kindness and help you to, to move forward. And what personal characteristic do you most attribute your success to? I think I'm somebody who is very persistent. Like, I never tell myself, it's finished here, no. I always try to put in as many efforts as possible. Like, for example, we're not so different. When we started at the beginning, it was so difficult. Even the colleagues at the level of the, this is, is not a judgment, actually. I know people are very busy. They have a lot of, but even the, when I started the, when we were thinking about pushing the, 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 the movement forward, I was like, okay, those who came for the summer school, at least the 75, I would gather, I would have their support because they were at the beginning, but they are the people from whom I receive the least support. Like I said, it's not a judgment because I know with life, people have different things to do. And look at where I landed. I landed to people in Senegal who were not even part of the original movement. So if I did not, if I was not, I did not have that persistent to insist and try to see how I can push it forward, I would have never reached out to, to, to have the opportunity to meet those people. Mm -hmm. And there were a number of people around Africa who reached out regarding not so different. Yes, there are groups in Gabon, uh, Cameroon where I'm based, Chad, and uh, yes, I think those are the main, the, 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 the main, Kenya as well, Kenya. We are trying to see how we can work with them to push things forward, but like you said, it's not always easy because it is something that is done on a voluntary basis and it needs a lot of engagement from people. It does, mm -hmm. on the local level, no question. 
And one last question. What advice would you give to somebody who has the desire to step out a new, on a new career path and who would like to create a career based on the things they love and believe in? You would first have to look for mentors, look for people who have been there before and who can advise because the advice they are going to give you would help you save a lot of time. Like there are some mistakes you would not make because they will really tell you if you go this way, this is, these are the challenges you are going to meet along the way. So first look for a mentor, document yourself as much as possible in the area that you are passionate about. You may not have the study background like myself. I've never, I've never done any studies in development or in feminism or women's rights or whatsoever, but a lot of reading, a lot of documentation, a lot of reaching out to people who have been doing the same thing and trying to see if some of them can mentor you along the way. Wonderful. Rosie, I appreciate your time. It's great to see you. Always great to talk with you. <laughs> You're a personal inspiration, no Thank question. Thank you very much for the, for the opportunity. Thank you for listening. Please join us again on Thomas Werner Project's podcast.